Hello, everyone, and welcome to our fourth podcast in our national conversation journey, talking about customer service in the U.S. I'm Denise Waiters with J.D. Power, and with me today is Jeff Sheehan. Jeff is a customer experience practitioner and author, and although this is a national conversation, he's an active member of the global customer experience community. Jeff is recognized as a top 50 global thought leader and influencer on customer experience. Thank you for joining me today, Jeff. Denise, thank you for the invitation and, and what, a, what a lovely introduction as well. Thanks a lot. Oh, absolutely. You deserve it. That, that's, that's, that belongs to you, <laughs> all of those accolades. <laughs> so, well, Jeff, we started this national conversation series about customer service because in the next couple of months, J.D. Power will be publishing our first cross-industry customer service journey study. And this is a large study where we evaluate customer feedback for over 100 brands. And we're actually evaluating six channels, including the phone channel, the in-person experience, the mobile app, the website, text, and social media. And as you might imagine, this study includes a range of industries. And they range from financial services, hospitality, broadband and internet, residential utilities, insurance and healthcare, and retail stores that many consider to be top-notch as it relates to customer service. And we're publishing this study and believe it will resonate with many because we believe that as it relates to customer service, a good experience anywhere influences expectations everywhere. So, Jeff, this is our fourth podcast in the series, but I must say that I had the most fun preparing for this conversation because I was (laughs) trying to reconcile how an ex-U.S. military officer can become a customer experience thought leader. (laughs) So with, with full disclosure, I have no firsthand knowledge with armed forces, but when I think about the military, I think about honor and discipline and freedom and duty. I do not think of the customer experience. Why don't we start with you sharing a little bit about your background and how you transitioned into the customer experience industry? Yeah, um, thank you. It's a great point you make, Denise, because it's not this sort of direct line of sight connection. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with some preconceived notions about military life. Uh, some people think it's very command and control and people are yelling at you to do things you know, all the time. And it's really not like that. Um, it wasn't like that for me. Um, but yeah, I was in the army for 10 years. I went to university on an army scholarship and after I graduated, got commissioned and went into active duty um, service. And I did that for 10 years, which was great. And I had a lot of different roles and served in different parts of the world. And then it was time to leave, um, and that and that was precipitated, or that was the, the catalyst for leaving was the end of the Cold War. It was a, it was just a shift in uh, history, really, and and it was just a very very small part of that. But um, but the military did did what it always does after the end of a big conflict, and it it it, it has to find its purpose all over again. And so it does some reorganization and re-equipping and things. So I left, uh, it's it, it sort of a tumultuous uh, pivot point in the, in the military. And it was a great point in the American economy. And I was recruited, actively recruited by AT&T who had a computer business at the time. And the, uh, the executive responsible for their service organization 
himself a West Point graduate and a former active military officer, um, he thought that he could create a new bench of field service management out of um, by recruiting uh, junior military officers. And so I was part of that program uh, and a whole cohort of folks that were hired um, to run customer service at the field level. So I, my first job was as a field service manager where I had about a $50 million PL. I had 25 field engineers that would go out on site and install and maintain and repair equipment. Um, I was in a data center environment, which was, um, this was 1995. So uh, if you can, if you think back to computing from 1995 to today, uh, huge upheavals in technologies and whole rooms full of big beige boxes of computer equipment were replaced by one little rack of pizza boxes of equipment, uh, pizza box sized uh, piece of equipment. So, you know, I, I, this is before, I mean, this is when phones were still on the wall, right? And, um, you know, there were different operating systems and all this kind of technology stuff. So I, uh, that was new to me, the management of people and uh, uh, budget and, um, and serving customers, that wasn't new to me. And, um, you know, to touch back on my uh, experience in the military, it, it really is a selfless service. And as an officer, your job is to support the folks, the troops that are doing the job. And of course you get to do the job with them in many, in many ways, but you're, you're, you're really a servant leader uh, to those folks. And so there is a customer service aspect to military life. Um, and then I, I was an aviator. So aviation is an asset that also provides a service to other parts of the military. So you're flying troops around, you're flying equipment around, you're flying, uh, all kinds of missions. Um, and so, you know, I would get, uh, as, a, as, a, as a unit leader, I would get mission requests to fly VIPs, got to do some really cool missions, but, but you were in a sort of, a, you were always in a sort of customer service sort of posture. And, um, and, you know, when you think about all the moving parts to a service organization, you have the logistics, the personnel, the, um, the budget, spare parts and you know all these different elements you know that really does blend nicely with the um the background i had certainly in, in the military so it it, it made sense and, and you know looking back i thought it was quite a, a really cool idea that that this executive had to sort of create a new bench of, of junior managers that could one day uh elevate you know work work their way up to um leaders in service organizations now, Jeff, I read um, some of the excerpts from your book, The Customer Experience Management Field Manual, and see that you used interesting chapter titles using military terms like the battle plan, gathering intelligence, war gaming. So I decided to create some questions about the customer experience using your own framework. So let's talk about the mission from chapter two. How should companies go about designing and delivering a world-class customer experience organization? How does a company prepare for that mission? Um, yeah, that's a great question. And I think all too often, uh, folks that are starting customer experience management programs, they begin uh, in the middle or they begin near the end and they start focusing on things like journey mapping or technology platforms or scores like an NPS score or a customer satisfaction score or JD powers, uh, you know, uh, award of some kind. Uh, and I think that the mission really has to begin with the broader 
um, purpose of the organization. So a customer experience management program has lots of, uh, it's sort of a horizontal um, concept that can apply to any organization. And you mentioned some like hospitality, restaurants, retail, automotive, airlines, banking, and they can all have customer experience management programs, but they're tailored to that particular kind of business, that industry, that operating model. You know, so a lot of businesses operate through channel partners and affiliates. Uh, some have stores, some are completely digital. And, you know, you have to really tailor your customer experience management program to those kinds of practical realities. And, um, and so it, it, when I talk about the mission in my book, it's really about the mission of the organization. Stop for a minute and really, what I encourage people to do and to use the book to do is to really look at your operating model, look at the mission, vision, values of the organization as they're stated and oftentimes written down. And, and, uh, and very often they're very prominently displayed in recruiting and things like that to, um, to align people with the company that they, uh, they might want to work for. Um, and to use that and really understand not just the, the, the sort of concepts of missions and visions and values, but then go into the operating model and how do you actually engage the marketplace? How are you actually touching customers, interacting and engaging with customers? And then a thing called um, um, brand promises has comes into play where your brand might stand for something very clearly. You know, Apple says they're going to enrich people's lives with their technology. Um, some people declare that they're going to make things fast and easy, or you can trust us, you know, we fly safe or we, you know, whatever it might be. And you have to really start building your CX program around those ideas because you want to deliver on those promises. You want to deliver using that business operating model and you want to deliver uh, consistently with those mission, vision and values of the organization. And, and so that's really where uh, that mission concept comes from is um, let, let's, let's pause for a minute and build something that really is going to enable all of the, the, the ambition that we have as an organization. And that's how you attract the right employees, right? When you have a strong mission and you go out and you recruit with that, you attract like people and like-minded people. So it seems like that's the, the, the perfect place to start. So I, I agree with that. I agree with all that you just said. So how about chapter four, the unit? Now, I understand that each military branch of the armed forces has a very strong and distinct culture. So what do you think the culture should look like or feel like in a company that is obsessed with delivering a world-class customer experience? Yeah, I would say that most organizations have uh, more than one culture. I know that we talk about culture as if it is one thing and it's consistent, like sort of peanut butter spread across the organization. I have yet to work in an environment that was quite like that. I find that, um, and not to pick on anybody here, but in different parts of an organization, maybe the sales team has a culture that's a bit aggressive and a bit, uh, you know, um, oh, let's just say aggressive and a, a service department that's very um, compassionate and wants to do the right thing and goes the extra mile to support a customer um, or a, a digital team or a creative team or a product management team that are um, looking for a leading edge, cutting edge innovation um, kind of things. And so you have a different kind of creative type of culture. 
And uh, I think that's an important thing to recognize for any, any customer service or customer experience management leader is to find out and suss out and understand the varieties of cultures or the, the, uh, the, yeah, the, the, the differences in cultures within the organization itself. Uh, because if you, you have to align with that if you're going to get something or anything done with that respective um, business unit. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is culture, we, we talk about it if it's just one thing. And I, 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 from my experience, have really not seen it as one thing. And if I go back to the military, you know, I was a soldier like everyone else was a soldier in the army, but I was an aviator. So I had a different culture than the infantry who like slept in the dirt. I, I didn't <laughs> sleep in the dirt. Yeah. I had, we had a different, and you see that in, in different units, right? You'll have special forces units that are sort of elite. You'll have um, fighter pilots that are a whole other breed than the uh, helicopter pilot and, and all this kind of thing. So, and yet it's one military and we think of it as right. one culture, but it really isn't. And I, and I would say other organizations in business are, are uh, have a, a similar um, reality. And so I presume that's why it's sometimes difficult to scale the customer experience uh, within an organization because of what you just mentioned. I totally agree. In fact, I, I would describe it as another silo. You know, I think customer experience managers have a broad uh, bridge building mandate and, and, the, and the building bridges, what they're bridging are silos, uh, cultural silos, data silos, operational silos um, mm -hmm. of one type or another. And so, yeah, if you're going to lead effectively as in customer experience management, you got to really understand um, the culture you're dealing with. If you want to help the salespeople convert uh, more leads to, 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 to deals and, and, and revenue, you got to understand how they operate and why they operate, what motivates them. And you, you probably need to understand their incentive programs and, and, and what um, sort of explains why they behave uh, in sales a certain way and why they overlook things that, they're not getting compensated for to focus on things they are. And um, so, yeah, I absolutely need to understand culture in a sort of detailed level, I think, to be most effective. Okay. Well, let's segue now to chapter five, the inspection. How does a company best gauge if they're actually delivering on the customer experience? How should they audit that process? What I've seen in my consulting work is when I go into clients uh, on occasion uh, with a sort of broad mandate to help them um, figure out where they should start and where they are. And uh, I do what, what I call the CX audit, which is basically the, the chapter, the inspection really refers to and describes this, 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 uh, this uh, CX audit process where you really look at what you have already. And oftentimes companies have, um, the people process and technology in place, and they're already collecting um, customer feedback data. They're already using it to some degree. And so for example, you go into a bank, there's a very regulated um, business and they, they have to, by regulation, they have to uh, keep track of their complaints. And so there's a system of, of record for the complaints and a process for handling complaints, however they come in, whether it's a, a handwritten letter to the CEO or it's a web form from the web page, or or it's a, a complaint on a social media platform of some kind, <clears throat> that's all collected and dealt with because it has to be by 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 uh, by uh, regulatory mandate. 
But what I find is a lot of organizations don't know what they don't know, of course. And so when you go in and you find, discover that like they have a whole bunch of technology that they're not utilizing, uh, they have way more capacity in that technology than they, than they realize or that they're missing skill sets, even though they have the technology, they don't have the people with the skills to uh, exploit and take full advantage of that technology. And so there's a gap. And, uh, and it's not, it's, it's really, the CX audit is really designed to find out what I call the, the now, where, how. Find out where you are now. And the audit really does that. Um, discuss where you wanna go. And that goes back to that mission that we talked about. You know, where do you wanna be? What do you wanna do? What do you hope to achieve? And then, um, and then the how is the actual plan with detail about you know, how to get where you wanna go. And so um, I think that, that, that the inspection of the CX audit is a really crucial step and one that a lot of folks overlook. They don't, they, and maybe because they don't have someone just, it's like a special project that someone could do for a few months to, to, to canvas the organization and uncover these uh, people process technology um, uh, pillars in detail and, and map them out visually and then come back and share it with everybody to say, hey, here's what I discovered. Um, it's a quick story. I did that at a bank I worked at in Ireland where I had asked the question like, hey, where do we collect all this customer feedback? And people, everybody I asked had knew about one or two things, but nobody knew everything. And so I said, well, I'm going to go find out. And I, I literally spent two months running around the, the bank, finding out and mapping it out and, uh, and making some recommendations on how we could, we could use all this uh, customer feedback data holistically to do a better job serving customers by knowing what they value, knowing what, knowing what we do that irritates them and sends them to another competitor maybe. And um, I found it to be a very, very powerful uh, exercise and a, a real good base uh, for making important decisions about a CX program. Mm -hmm. and, and might I suggest that that's where companies like JD Power come into play too with the competitive benchmarking, because I think all companies need to be able to audit their own process, but sometimes you see it from the wrong vantage point. So mm -hmm. when you add the competitive landscape as well from an external organization like ours, I think then you've got a good formula for, you know, truly auditing the process and, and, and you know, just kind of elevate, being, being able to, to elevate that experience. So I think um, that, that is... I, I, no, I, I really appreciate that. I think that's a very, very important uh, point to make, Denise, because you need to have a reason why. It isn't just because I was curious that the bank let me run around. It was, you know, in hopes of discovering something that could be very, very beneficial to the bank. Um, and what I discovered along the way is another silo called, um, uh, this is how we have always done it. So this is why we do it that way. And so yes. you'll discover <laughs> in that people yeah. process technology, you discover policies like, you know, hey, why do we why do we ask these questions on a web form? Mm -hmm. and, right. and every uh, we had a web form that asked uh, like half a dozen questions. And when I investigated, like, OK, what do we do with that? When, when we ask customers to answer this, provide us this information, where does it go? Who does it who, who does it benefit? Like, what do we do with it? And I got that, you know, shoulder shrug. Nobody really knew. It's like, well, why do we bother customers asking if it just goes into some you know, black hole that we never use. I mean, it just seems like a data risk, uh, a compliance risk, because now you have to protect that data and, and you have to protect it a particular way because it's a bank. And it's like, why would we do that? And when you can highlight, like, to your point, um, 
policies that don't work or, or, or just challenge some things that look a little lazy, look like, well, you know, nobody's messed with it before, so we'll just leave it alone. Um, and when you can provide the motivation to say industry-wide, you know, there's a benchmark for this and we are above or below or whatever, wherever we are against that benchmark, that adds some gravitas to, to the, the CX audit where you can actually link your findings to a purpose. This is why mm -hmm. it's important. And this is why we should deal with it and treat it a certain way. And, um, I think those, those benchmarks are, are industry benchmarks are really, really important um, catalysts for conversation. I absolutely agree with you. So, so Jeff, I've given the audience a little information on your book, but tell us more about the, uh, the field manual, the customer experience management field manual. Yeah, it's a, it's a poetic uh, title. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> um, the book started off, uh, the book started off as really like I was writing an article for LinkedIn and it just kept growing and growing. And um, so this article just morphed into a, a big outline for a bigger story. And um, at the same time, I was reading everything I get my hands on about um, customer experience management, all the articles and books and, and posts on LinkedIn and so forth. And what I saw was broadly speaking, and I, 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 don't, I don't mean this is any insult um, to anyone, but I was reading lots of platitudes of things like happy customers buy more. Okay, well, that sounds interesting, but how do, you, how do you know that? How do you do that? Or I was reading dogma kind of stuff, the, the 10 things you must have and the 13 things you must do and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to um, write my, my what, I, what I wanted to provide was um, I wanted to create something that could help people figure out what to do and how to do it while also respecting the fact that one size doesn't fit all, that uh, mm -hmm. any framework I would come up with would have to be bent and adapted and you know maybe spray painted a different color to fit into their organization. And so I didn't want it to be too uh, dogmatic, uh, to be too rigid, and I didn't want it to be too pie in the sky, um, vague, where it wasn't you know, a practical, useful kind of thing in the, in the, in the field, in an organization. Um, and that's really what happened. And you alluded to it, or you mentioned it earlier. I, I, I picked up on, uh, you know, there's a lot of books out there and there's a lot of books about, on, on customer experience management. And so I was looking for something to differentiate myself. And I, I thought I would weave in my military background to the story and use the, the language that you've called out, you know, the mission, the unit, um, the uh, war gaming, because I thought, A, they were great parallels. And um, a lot of this language has made its way into um, pop culture. I mean, there's a lot of things that we say that are just sort of military isms, um, but I also, it was a nice uh, nod to my background. And it was, I think, um, a little bit unique in terms of uh, packaging for, for a book on customer experience management. I'm sure it was a labor of love and it it's certainly a very creative way to deliver some key concepts and tangible advice on how to optimize the customer experience. So kudos to you on that. Thank you. Thank so, you. So, yeah. So, so Jeff, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, our cross-industry customer service journey study will be published soon. So just for fun, can you predict which industries might rise to the top? <laughs> what what <laughs> industries will rise to the top? I think um, 
I don't know specifically. I think the I think the I think the industries that do two things really well will uh, make themselves um, will insulate themselves from um, any dramatic uh, decline in their business. And those two things are this. One is to set expectations, be very clear about who you are and what you do and what you offer and how you offer it. Because if you don't set expectations, the customers will begin to form their own expectations and you'll never meet those. You'll never know what they are. They'll be unreasonable. They'll be arbitrary. So I think it's very good. And there's companies like Apple, for example, do an amazing job at setting expectations with their customer service, with their offerings, with their uh, technological capabilities. They are really, really good and totally unafraid to tell customers what to expect and what not to expect. Um, so I think, I think that's important. And then secondly, um, folks that listen to their customers that are not sitting in a room talking amongst themselves, thinking this is what customers want, that's what customers want, but actually talking to real customers who say, this is what I want, this is what I don't want. Um, I know that sounds pedantic, but it happens so often that people sit in rooms inside their, their businesses with no customers in the room and they decide what customers like and what customers don't like based on nothing more than their personal opinion. And I think you know the folks who get it right are the folks who talk to customers and really engage um, and know who their core customers are, what their values are, what irritates them, and adapt their organization, their processes, their their um, their, their their holistic way of doing business with with their customers to remove friction and to um, emphasize value. And uh, oftentimes, I mean, the older I get, the more I experience this counterintuitive stuff. Things we might not think would be important to customers might be the killer app, the thing that differentiates you entirely with a customer. Well, Jeff, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Thank you again for being a guest in our series of conversations about customer service. We appreciate your thought leadership on the topic and hope we can have you back one day. Listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to receive more information on today's topic, please visit us on our website at jdpower.com forward slash business. Till next time.